We're starting a two-part sermon series today entitled Joyful Generosity. I'd like to begin by asking you to ask yourself a question, a rhetorical question. Don't answer out loud. The question I've been asking myself, am I a joyful giver? Am I a joyful giver? When I asked myself that question over the past week, um, you know, to be candid, the answer was no. I'm not a a joyful giver. And it's not that I'm a Scrooge or that I begrudge what I give to the church. What it turned out to be, number one, that may be the first time I've ever really asked myself that question. Am I a joyful giver? And number two, turns out for us that we automate our giving to the church. You know what I mean by automate? All of our bills, our bills are automated. So they're direct withdrawals from our bank account, or the bank writes a check, they have a check writing service, and they write a check and they send it to the vendors. And so we automate our giving to the church, so the bank sends a check once a month to the church, and that's how we give. And ch- churches like that because it's more consistent. We don't want to depend on your memory, we want to depend on the bank's memory. It's a little bit better. But anyway, we audit, so I don't keep the books. Tammy does the books. I never look at what's going out, and I just never really thought about it. I haven't thought about what we're giving to the church for months. So it's not that I'm unjoyful or joyful. It's more dispassionate. That may or may not be your experience. I simply share that because I want you to ask yourself the same question. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself before, but am I joyful in my giving? As I was doing the the research for this message, I discovered that definitely God wants us to be joyful in our generosity. I'm just going to say three things today, and that's the first thing. There is a connection between God and joy and generosity or giving. I'm using generosity and giving those two words interchangeably. In fact, the connection is so strong, I was struck with this connection. It makes me wonder if you can actually have one without the other two. If you can be joyful without being generous without God, or if you can be generous without joy and generosity, or if you can be joyful and generous without God. I want to lay the scriptural foundation here. Let's just look at three or four scriptures. And as we read these scriptures and we put them on the screen, I want you to look for those three words, God, joy, and generosity. First one comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. The context here is that King David and the people of Israel have brought tons of gold and silver, and that's literally tons of gold and silver, precious jewels, building materials to get ready to build the temple, for Solomon to build the temple. And after they brought this tremendous contribution, we read the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. And this is what he prayed, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. So you've got God, joy, and generosity all entwined in that particular example. Second scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now the context here is that the Apostle Paul is traveling through Macedonia and Corinth. He's collecting an offering. He's going to take it back to Jerusalem where there's a famine. So the church there in Jerusalem. And here's what he writes. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So you see that? God, 
joy and generosity. Now here's the third example, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul writes, tell the rich people of this world to have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. Remind the rich to be generous and to share what they have. God, joy, generosity. And the final scripture here I'm going to look at, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You can't distill it down any better than this. God loves a cheerful giver. I was reading an article. I'm not sure how I came across this. It's by I Heart Toby. I Heart Toby was writing about a dad who took his wife and his daughter to a Taylor Swift concert. Apparently, daughter and wife were into the concert, and dad, not so much. And so dad, in the midst of this concert, begins Googling this question. How long does a Taylor Swift concert last? And somebody took a screenshot of his phone doing that, and they put it up in a TikTok video, and it went viral. And I Heart Toby writes, we all know the links we go to secure these coveted tickets, the anticipation building up day by day, the exhilaration of finally being at the concert. It's a moment to savor and cherish, not wish away. In the comments section, Taylor's loyal fans, you know what a Taylor Swift fan is called, by the way? Swifty. The Swifties vented their frustrations, the commitment they had made to attend the concert while this Dad seemed clueless. It's hard not to feel a twinge of disappointment when someone fails to fully appreciate the magic of a Taylor Swift concert. So, maybe some of us relate to the magic of a Taylor Swift concert. Maybe some of us not so much. But I think this we can relate to. We want someone to share the joy that we're experiencing. Maybe we say, I love this comedian. Come, he's so funny, you're going to love him. And they don't love him. They're just on a different level with their sense of comedy. And we say, oh, I really wanted you to like it. I really like, wanted you to like this music. Likewise, our Father God in heaven is generous. He is joyful in his generosity. He loves to give. And for we, his children, he wants us to share that emotion. He wants us to share that joy in our giving. And Jeremiah, God is speaking, Jeremiah 32, Oh, how I rejoice in them. Oh, how I will delight in doing good things for them. And Jesus, in the parable of the talent, says, Come in and join in your master's joy. So, all I'm saying right here, it's what God wants for us. We may have, I may need to tweak a few things. Maybe we want to tweak a few things, but it's definitely, it's no question that God wants us to give, he wants us to be generous, and he wants us to experience joy in the process. So how, we're, how are we going to do that? One of the ways, I believe, is going to be this, is, is recognizing that God provides for joyful generosity. God provides. Now, for years. I had a, a portable clothes hanger, a portable clothes hanger up there, a rack in the attic. I used it literally 20 years ago, and I, I had a job in Tampa. I would commute from Orlando to Tampa, so for just a few months, I needed this portable clothing rack. Well, after that job was over, I, I put that rack up in the attic, and we just carried it with us everywhere for the next 20 years. And so I asked Tammy at some point, do you think I should keep that or get rid of it? And she said, have you used it in the last year? 
I said, no. She said, when you touch it, does it bring you joy? No. She said, then get rid of it. I said, but I might need it in the future. She said, get rid of it. I said, okay. So I took it to Goodwill. Now, about one month later, we decided that we were going to participate in our neighborhood garage sale in the preserve. It's just a big deal. So we're going to do the garage sale. We had some clothes to sell. And you know what I could have used? A portable clothing rack. Sure enough, that's one of the things that makes marriage so hard. And it also can make giving hard. Because, you know, I have what I need for today. I don't need this. I don't need this dollar. So I could take this dollar and put it in the offering box right back there in the back of the church, give it to the Lord, give it to the kingdom, give it to the church. However, how do I know that I'm not going to need this dollar tomorrow or next month or next year? Maybe it's not just a dollar. Maybe it's $100 or $1,000 or $10,000. How do I know I'm not going to need this in the future? And worry about the future is a thief that robs joyful generosity. Now, not preparing for the future, that's not the thief. Not saving for the future, that's not the thief, but worry about the future. And where we get confused sometimes is we think that what is providing for us is the dollar, is the money. In 2018, I saved this article by Francisco Toro, who is the editor of a news organization in Venezuela. So this is a five-year-old article, and he's writing about what was happening at that time, what happened in Venezuela. Let me read you some of this. He writes, a friend sent me a picture that tells the story of the situation Venezuelans find themselves in now. It's a cell phone shot of the trash left behind after a store was looted last week in San Felix. Strewn about in the trash are about a dozen 20 Bolivar bills, small denomination currency now so worthless, even looters did not think it was worth their time to stop and pick them up. Now, theoretically, each of those bills is worth $2. But in fact, as Venezuela sinks deeper into hyperinflation, Bolivar banknotes have come to be worth basically nothing you would need 100 of them to equal one penny. It's easy to see why the thieves left them behind. Now, five years ago, the 500 Bolivars on the floor would have bought you a meal for two at the best restaurant in Caracas. As late as early last year, they'd have bought you at least a cup of coffee. Today, they buy you essentially nothing. First rule of surviving hyperinflation is to get rid of your money. Given the speed with which money is shedding its value, holding on to it means you're losing out. The second you're paid, you run out and buy something, anything, while you can still afford it. Find a can of tuna. Buy it. Even if you hate tuna. Even if you're never going to eat that tuna. Because tuna holds its value. You might be able to trade it later for something else, but money doesn't. So the money, just the money, their banknotes, like our banknotes, it's like Monopoly money. They won't even bend over and pick it up because it's worthless. And, and you think, well, Steve, come on, that's Venezuela. That's a third world country. The government was corrupt and they, they mishandled their finances. Oh, are we listening there? 
current national debt, $33 trillion. The interest payment on the debt doubled last year in one year. It is now $1 trillion per year, just the interest on the debt. And you say, thanks a lot, Steve. I feel real joyful right now. So glad I came to church. But you should feel joyful now. And that's part of the point. Because our security and our provision never has been in the dollar. It's not in gold or silver. It's not in stocks and bonds. It's not in real estate. It's always in God. It always has been in God. It always will be in God. It's God who provides for us. And that, that's my point here, that God provides for joyful generosity. Now we say, what well, does that mean that, all right, God provides. I don't have to do anything. I can be lazy or I can be irresponsible with money. That's not to say that at all. God does not provide for us by magic. And we look at this holistically. The Bible says many things about this, this issue. How does God provide for us? Let me just enumerate four or five ways. Number one, he gives us, he gives us an environment in which to work a planet that is productive, where you've got the law of sowing and reaping, which is so consistent and ubiquitous that this planet produces enough food to feed 8 billion people. Hunger on the planet is not a, because of a lack of production. It's a lack of failure and distribution. The psalmist writes in Psalm 104, God, you establish the earth on its foundation so it will never fall. You make grass grow for cattle, plants for human farming to get food from the ground, and grape juice, which cheers people's hearts. I'm sorry, wine, which cheers people's hearts. See if you're listening, paying attention. Along with oil, which makes the face shine, and bread, which sustains the human heart. God provides for us by giving us the ability to work to meet our needs. Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God gives you the strength to make a living. God has given us the family. The family helps provide for each other as a safety net. Everyone should take care of all their own people. Most important, they should take care of their family. God has given us the institution of government to help provide. The authority of the government comes from God, and it's his servant to give in for your benefit so that we have roads and we have police and we have laws and enforcement. And I know we like to pick on the government. I like to make fun of the government. But try living in a state of anarchy. And we begin to realize how important God's institution of government is. And God has given us the church, which is like a second family, a spiritual family to take care. Acts 4.34, there were no needy persons among them. So one of the, the ways to be joyful in our giving is to remember that our trust is in God, not money. And one of the ways to remind ourselves to trust in God and not money is to give some of that money away. And we're reinforcing, I'm trusting God, not this money. Now that's not to say that um, when God provides for us, that it's going to be the American dream. We may not have $1.5 million in our 401k or our IRA so that we can retire and live off the interest in the rest of our lives in the standard of living to which we have become accustomed. If that's good, if you've done that, praise the Lord. If maybe some of us are a little bit short of that, it is not as if God has broken his word. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, if we have food and clothing, we will be what? content. We will be content. One more thing to say here. 
So we've said, this is what God wants for us. Joyful, he wants us to be joy in our giving and in our generosity. God has provided for that. The third thing to say, though, is that God has spiritually provided for joyful generosity. You say, all right, Steve, yeah, but what about when I get old and I've I've outlived my ability to work and maybe the government's not for me, the government's oppressing me. Maybe I've outlived my family, there's no safety net there, and the church is AWOL for some reason, and death is at the door. What about then? Well, God's made provision in that eventuality as well. But God's not only provided for us in this life, He's provided for us in the life after this life. So we know our, our brother John Marnelli, who passed away a little over a week ago on November 11th. And I'm I went to see them at the Mayo Clinic. There was Ann and Frank was there and John. It was on a Wednesday, just about three days before he passed. And we were talking, and I said, you know, I want to read some Scripture and have prayer. He said, John, do you have any particular Scripture you'd like me to read? And he said, no. So I read Psalm 107 and then had prayer. And I left. After I'd left, I remembered something I'd meant to say, and uh, so I texted Ann and John. I said, you know, I can't believe I forgot this, but a neighbor of yours has been attending, started attending church. His name is A.T. And he said, I was talking to him, he said he came because John always invited him to church, always invited him. Now he's at a point where he's looking for a church. And so he came to this church. I said, I can't believe I, I forgot to tell you that. And John texted me back. He said, I can't believe I forgot to mention this scripture. This is the scripture I would want you to read. And it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 6. I tell you not to worry about your life. This is Jesus. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about having something to eat or drink or wear. Isn't life more than food or clothing? Why do you have such little faith? Don't worry and ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your Father in heaven knows you need all these. More than anything else, put God's kingdom first. Do what He wants. Then these other things will be yours as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. You have enough to worry about today. Now we know John. John was generous. There was a characteristic of John that stood out. I don't think there is, but if there was one, it would be generosity and joyful generosity because he got this. He got this. How could he have this great attitude three days before he passed? Because he lived with that attitude 30 years before he passed. He understood that his provision came from God and that God had made provision for him in the next life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who has faith in me will live even if they die. And everyone who lives because of faith in me will never really die. Our lives are so, so brief. None of the young people in here get that, and all of the old people in here understand that. It's so brief. The psalmist writes, we're here today, gone tomorrow. He says to God, you bring our lives to an end just like a dream. We're merely tender grass that sprouts and grows in the morning but dries up in the evening. We can expect 70 years, maybe 80 if we're healthy, but even our best years bring trouble and sorrow. Suddenly our time is up and we disappear. Teach us to use wisely all the time we have. When morning comes, let your love satisfy all our needs. 
it's almost as if life is so short. It's almost as if we're born in the maternity ward. And then the nurse carries us over to the hospice center. We're all in hospice. We're so close to the end. And you know, folks in hospice, you know what they're not thinking about? They're not thinking about a year from now. They're not thinking, am I going to outlive my money? They're not thinking about money at all. They're thinking about God, heaven, Jesus, and the resurrection. Who is the richest man in the world right now? Anybody know? It's Elon Musk, if I'm not mistaken. $230 billion net worth. If Elon Musk is in hospice, is that $230 billion going to buy him one more day of life? I don't think so. And even if he did, what's he going to do for the next day? Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is one of the secrets of joyful generosity, is understanding that it's God who provides for us. It is God in whom we trust. And he provides for us in this life and has provided for us in the next life. We cannot give anything in exchange for our souls, but God did. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. 